There are two questions. There are two questions that precede all others. And those questions are, who is God and who are you? So two answers that we seek. Knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. We're going to look at some verses this morning that speak in some measure to knowledge of God, his, his character, his being. Who is God? How would you answer that? How would you answer the question? Someone came up to you. Uh, at Starbucks or at your place of work and said, you know, I, I, I understand that you're religious. You, you, you go to that, that crazy church over there, but maybe you can help me. Who, who is God? So what would come out of your mouth? Well, you know, God, God created everything, you might say first. God is loving. You might start talking about his character. God, God is loving uh, He's merciful and kind. And you might eventually get around to saying, God is holy. I certainly hope that you would. Scripture gets around to it over and over again. But, you know, I, I ask you those questions because I asked myself those questions. Over and over again, I find the scriptures that when I sit down and study them very carefully and I, I look at, at the words that are used and, and the questions that are asked and I have to ask myself, do I ever use those words? Do I ever say that? Do I ever ask those questions? Do I ever do it that way? And over and over again, I have to confess, you know, I, I don't think I've ever said that. How, how quickly would I say, someone asked me who was God, how long would it take me to get around to, well, God's holy? When indeed it should be one of the first things that we think of and one of the first things that we say in answer to the question, who is God? How often do you think about God's holiness? Do you think about God's When you think of God, do you think about holiness? Holiness can seem an alien category right so if you had a friend who came up to you and said I have a friend that I want you to meet man he he's he's great I think I think you would really enjoy getting to know him and so you ask the very natural question well what's he like he's a holy man has anyone ever said that? Have you ever said that about him? He's a holy man. Now, in this scenario, you hear the first thing out of your friend's mouth is that, is, is that this person is a holy man. How interested are you in actually meeting him? Now, you just can't picture yourself going to the ball game with him. Uh, you know, it just, it's an alien category. I want you to meet this woman. She's, she is, I, I think you would really enjoy meeting her. Well, what's she like? She's all about holiness. Well, your, your desire just doesn't quite rise up to that because holiness is an alien category to us. God declares in the scriptures that holiness is fundamental to who he is and he commands us to seek holiness a holiness without which no one 
will see the Lord. Not my words, the words of Hebrews chapter 12. God commands us to seek holiness, a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But here's the secret. God shares his holiness with us. You can't get there. You can't become holy, but God shares his holiness with us that we may become holy. Indeed, Hebrews 12 also says that God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. We are created for holiness. We have been redeemed for holiness. Let us embrace holiness for God shares his holiness with us. Our scripture this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1. Please turn there or scroll there as the case may be. And we're going to start reading at verse 13. The apostle Peter writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God's holiness we see in this passage is expressed in judgment of sin and in the holiness of his people. God's holiness is expressed in judgment of sin and in the holiness of his people. There are a lot more things we can say about holiness than these, but in this passage, these are two fundamental ways in which God expresses his holiness, and we're going to talk about those. Verse 13, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you notice the command there? What is the command in that verse? Set your hope fully on Christ. That's the command. Set your hope fully on the grace of Christ. Notice the commands in Scripture. Notice what's, what, where the imperatives are, because th- we're going to talk about this, but, but they're not always what you think they are. When we talk about obedience, 
We think of what? Well, do not murder, do not steal. Those are all good and holy commands. But do you notice the other commands? Set your hope fully on the grace that is in Christ. And to do this, he says, we must prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded. To set our hope on Christ, we must prepare our minds. This is about knowledge. This is about recognition of truth. The truth is fundamental to setting our hope on Christ. Setting our hope on Christ, as we'll see, is fundamental to holiness Truth is fundamental. Prepare your minds. Recognize the truth. And what is the truth that he's pointing us here? It's all the truths that are revealed in the gospel concerning Christ as our Savior, concerning how he saves us and what we have in him. We're supposed to set our hope on him through the, through the recognition and knowledge of those truths. Truth is fundamental. You must gird up the loins of your mind, which is what this says literally in Greek. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up your loins, the loins of your mind. Be sober-minded. Know the truth. Engage the truth. Christianity is not just about experiencing God through Christ Jesus. It's not just about rejoicing in his love and in fellowship of love with one another. It is about also knowing and acknowledging the truth. We know the truth of the gospel by faith. The truth of the gospel, our trust in it, gives us hope. When Christ returns, our hope will become sight. Now it's hope. We know the truth by faith. We set our minds upon the grace that is in Christ Jesus, looking forward in hope to that day. But when he returns, when he is revealed, our hope will become sight. Our faith will become knowledge. Now we rest in faith upon the truth of the gospel. Are you setting your hope fully on the grace of Christ? What is your hope? When you're downcast or when you're discouraged, what's your hope? When you are buffeted by the many concerns and anxieties of your life, where do you find hope? Very difficult to continue to live without hope. Very difficult to get out of bed. Very difficult to do anything without hope. Where is your hope? Are you setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, Peter continues, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not, as obedient children, do not be conformed as obedient children. Obedience is fundamental to the Christian life. I shouldn't have to say that. It seems obvious, but, but I kind of do have to say that. You know, Paul had to say it over and over again. Peter has to say it. Why does Peter say this? Shouldn't it be obvious? Well, apparently not. He does say it as obedient children. Why? Because we tend to stray. We, we tend to get distracted by the baubles and trinkets of this world. 
We tend to believe the lies that the sin in our own hearts or or the the sin of others around us or, or Satan would seek to tempt us with. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the sinful passions of your former ignorance. In order to be obedient, we've got to overcome ignorance. Right? The passions of your former ignorance. So where do those passions come from? Ignorance. Right? So, so in ignorance of what God requires of us, we do the things that we want to do. And having corrupt heart, we do corrupt things. Uh, our passions are evil. And they are grounded in ignorance. Ignorance of truth. Ignorance of what God requires. And so in overcoming that ignorance and in learning truth and learning God's commands, we can be obedient children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then he explains further in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now notice here, by the way, he bases this on scripture. Since it is written... I see you called you holy, so be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. He doesn't, doesn't belabor this, doesn't argue for it. He just expects that those who are the children of God will hear the voice of God in the scriptures. It's enough to say, since it is written, to establish the truth of this. And so it should be for you. If it is written, you receive the truth of it. As he who called you is holy, you must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is holy. Calls us to holiness. So what is it? What is holiness? Well, certainly... It would appear that a part of it is obedience. As obedient children, do not be conformed, but as he who called you is holy, so be holy. A part of it is obedience. And what is obedience? Again, when we think of obedience, we tend to think of, well, uh, do not make any graven image, don't have any idols, uh, do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath day, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not covet. But as we already saw in this passage, God's commands are much more extensive, much more pervasive, much more integrative of our entire being than that. It's about your mind. It's about your heart. Set your hope fully. Do not fear. Fear God. Do not fear man. Do not fear what may become of you. Hope. Rejoice. You know rejoice is a command? What's the first commandment? According to Jesus, what's the first commandment? Anybody know it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, what's the second commandment? Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And isn't it odd that when we think of God's commands, when we think of obedience to God's commands, it does seem to me that those are usually not the first two that we think of. We go back to the Ten Commandments or some kind of list of do's and don'ts. We've got to retrain our minds. We've got to be conformed no longer to the passions of our former ignorance. It is ignorance that sees God's commands as merely a list of do's and don'ts having to do with conduct. God's commands entail all of our existence, all of our life, all of our experience, including our conduct. So we should not neglect the commands that we've already recited concerning conduct, but we need to put first the commands that are first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Set your hope fully on the grace that has been revealed in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, etc., etc. This is obedience. This is obedience. It's obedience to love the Lord. It is obedience to love one another. It is obedience to set our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed in Christ. That's obedience. Obedience ought to be something that causes us joy as we think of it. But Satan and our own sin has caused us to look at obedience as something that's at best second rate or something that is a bit inconvenient and troublesome. That's not what obedience is. Obedience is another way of talking about your life in God. It ought to thrill your heart when you talk about obedience because obedience is about love and trust and joy and goodness So holiness certainly entails on our part obedience. What does it mean then to talk about the holiness of God? Whom does God obey? He is the authority. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He is beholden to no one. He knows no one anything. He knows no one obedience. So when it comes to God, his holiness is not obedience. His holiness is fundamental to his own person, his own character. To say that God is holy is nothing other than to say that he is pure. He is good. He speaks truth. He is loving and merciful and just. Say that he is holy. Is to say that he is true to himself. He always acts and exists in accordance with his character. But in order for God to act in accordance with his character, in order for his holiness to be expressed, it must express itself in part in judgment of sin. And you see this in the next verse, verse 17. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. God's holiness entails judgment of sin it's one of the expressions of God's holiness he expresses his holiness in judgment of sin you know we we think little of God's holiness we don't think much about it we we don't consider holiness to be one of those attractive characters in humans 
We, we do consider it attractive in, in God, but we don't think about it much. Seems an alien category to us in many ways. Why do we think so little of it? I believe that one of the important reasons we think so little of God's holiness is that we think so little of our own sin. God's holiness expresses itself in judgment of sin. We think very little of our sin. We think very little of God's judgment as an expression of his holiness. One reason we do not honor God as exceedingly holy is that we do not recognize that we are exceedingly sinful. Oh, every now and then we do. Every now and then when God convicts us, when our sin overtakes us in ways that surprise us and we, we fall on our faces in tears and cry out in confession and repentance, at those moments sometimes we recognize that we are exceedingly sinful, but the rest of the time we don't seem to recognize this. How would you respond to this statement? Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. How would you respond to that? This was a question that was asked in a recent national poll conducted by Lifeway Ligonier. In 2018, 52% of evangelical Christians answered that they agreed with that statement. 52% of American evangelicals agree that most people sin, that, that, that everyone sins a little, but most people are basically good. Most people are good by nature. I think this has to do with the holiness of God as much as it has to do with our awareness of our own sin. The two are intimately related. What do we think? We think that surely our little sins do not deserve God's wrath. Our little sins do not deserve the cursing of God. Something like 70% in that poll agreed with the statement that, um, excuse me, about 70% disagreed with the statement that even the smallest sin deserves eternal punishment. We don't think that our little sins are all that bad. And surely if you've witnessed to people and you ask them, why do they think they're going to heaven? Because if they believe in heaven and hell, if they're not a believer and they believe in heaven, they think they're going there. Right? I mean, as you talk to people who don't know Jesus and you ask them, are you going to heaven? They all say yes. I've only met one person who ever said, you know, I think I am going to hell. Who was not a believer. That's a long story. He, he knew something of the truth, but still was not willing to submit to Christ. Surely our little sins don't deserve God's wrath and God's curse. We know that that's not true. If you've studied the scripture for any time, if you've read it, you, 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 want, you want to believe it and submit to it, you know it's not true that everyone sins a little, but peop, most people are good by nature. You know that's not true. But we still think that way. We still fall into that thinking because that is what sin would have us think that we're better. I mean, this is the fundamental sin. You know better than God what's good for you. You know better than God what is true and right. And so we think surely it could not be fair that we should be subject to eternal damnation just for a few little sins. 
Of course, as you know, the fundamental character of sin is rebellion against God. It is rejecting who he is. It's rejecting his love. It's, re- it's rejecting who he created us to be, etc., etc. But may I suggest that if you think that you are a very little sinner, then all you need is a very little Savior. If you think that you're a very little sinner, then all you need is a very little Savior. If we make little of our sins, it's no surprise that we make little of God's holiness. God is holy and judges disobedience. God is holy and judges disobedience by cursing the earth. You've read Genesis 2, Genesis 3. God has cursed this earth, but we don't believe that. We think that this world just rejoices to provide its bounty for us. And we're fooled. By the blessings that God is, the blessings that God has blessed the world with, especially over the last 100, 150 years, we have turned into an idolatry that says that we're not so bad. God has not really cursed the earth. God does not stand in judgment against sin. Right? We have manufactured fertilizer that we put in our fields, and, and boy, the corn grows up high and tall and produces. We, we have herbicides and insecticides, and with all of that, the earth's abundance joyfully supplies our needs. But Scripture says that creation groans to supply our needs. Creation groans because of our sin. And God has blessed this world in so many things that that hide from us the ways in which God has cursed the earth and how even the earth itself stands in judgment against us. God is holy and judges disobedience by cursing the earth. God is holy and judged his own people Israel because they did not honor him as holy in many, many ways, including disobedience. You know, disobedience is lack of trust. Disobedience is saying to God, I don't trust you. I got something better than what you got for me. It's an idolatry. God is holy and judges his own church. This is a little bit harder. I I heard a, a, a preacher say recently that God does not judge his own people. And I didn't get a chance to talk to him, and, and I hope one, one day that I will just try to understand why, why he said that. Because over and over again in the scriptures, we see God judging his own people, his church. Revelation 2 and 3, the, the, the seven churches. God took their candlesticks away. God judged them ultimately. We know that. Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira, as best we can tell, were as godly a Christian as anyone else in that church. To all appearances. And what was their great sin? Well, they gave a lot of money to the church, but they kept a little bit for themselves. Maybe they made this big offering to the church. They gave 80%. They sold some property. They gave 80%. We don't know the exact percentage. But they gave this big gift to the church, but they didn't tell the church that they kept back a little bit for themselves. Ah, just a little white lie. Little minor deception going on. Just not fully forthcoming with all the details. And God responds by killing them both. Right in the midst of the church. Everyone was afraid. And, and, and you know, I'm not mischaracterizing Ananias and Sapphira. I know I'm not because the entire church was afraid. 
because the entire church recognized that they had sins that didn't didn't seem much less than the sins of Ananias and Sapphira. If God, if our God is a God who judges Ananias and Sapphira for that little sin with death, then how can we escape his judgment, right? But that's the lesson. That is the lesson. God is a holy God. And we need to walk in fear. Everyone who calls upon him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. But by the way, it's also a testimony to God's mercy because he doesn't strike us down in accordance with what our sins deserve. Because of Christ Jesus, he shows us incredible mercy, though our sins, no doubt, are greater than those of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. He is so merciful to us, and so we ought in fear to praise him for his mercy toward us. Because he is a holy God. And our sins are an abomination, a perversion, an idolatry in his sight. And so we ought to walk in fear and as obedient children, not being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. It's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Peter says a little bit later in this book, in chapter 4, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. God is holy and he calls his children his church to be holy. And his holy judgment is intended for our salvation. He would be entirely holy and just if he executed every sinner instantly for one sin alone. A single lie deserves instant death, a gaze of lust, an angry word. Not to mention a proud heart, a covetous spirit, and a thousand other sins that sinners commit regularly. But God is patient and merciful. He announces his judgments in order that sinners may repent. His judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira was not primarily about Ananias and Sapphira. It was a summons to everyone to praise him for his mercy and to walk faithfully in obedience and fear. By the way, I I keep saying fear. I don't have time to explain that. Uh, The proper fear of the Lord, and there is a proper and real and necessary fear of the Lord that every believer should have. But it's not the fear that cowers, it's not the fear that flees him, it's the fear that comes to him in the eager expectation of mercy. It's the fear that recognizes that this holy God extends mercy through Christ Jesus. So God announces his judgments that sinners may repent. There's only one remedy to escape his judgment, to escape his curse. There's only one rescue, and that is him who became a curse for us. Christ received the judgment of God that our sins deserve, that we might receive mercy. Do you know whether or not you've been redeemed from the curse? Are you in some doubt with regard to whether or not you have been redeemed from the curse you need to ask yourself a question first do I believe that I'm under God's curse under God's judgment and don't suppose that you will escape God's judgment outside of Christ if you do not know that you have been rescued from God's judgment I summon you right now to fall before the cross of Jesus Christ, confess your sins, 
acknowledging his holiness. Confess your sins and seek mercy from him. He will not turn you away. He will pour out his mercy and love and save you, redeem you, give you new life, and give you his spirit that you will conform no longer to the passions of your former ignorance. Are you a believer? Do you know that by faith you have been redeemed from God's judgment? Remember that God calls you to holiness. And he calls you to holiness based not upon your own strength, but upon the knowledge that you have grace in Christ Jesus. And can I just say one more thing here? He intends your pursuit of holiness, your obedience to be expressed in love. The whole purpose of obedience is not chalking up merits. You can't do that anyway. The purpose of obedience is that you may be fitted for love of God and love of neighbor.